Good morning. Let me have you turn to Ephesians uh, chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 10. Uh, good news is Brad essentially just preached the whole sermon, so this is going to be easy from here. This is actually, it's just such a great little section in Scripture, um, and I mean, it's just awesome to be able to share, especially in connection with communion, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 this morning. And, and just as a reminder, it might seem strange, you know, we do in the gathering of the church what you, you don't find anywhere else, and that is that a group of people come together and uh, we sing, but we don't really sing to each other. We actually acknowledge the presence of God in our midst, the invisible, eternal, uh, gracious God who created us, and we praise Him, we sing to Him, we worship Him. And then, after that gets done, um, you know, take, take communion, and then we open up this really old book, and we talk about it. But we treat this book in a way, way different than you might treat... Um, like, you know, I'm a fan of uh, Lonesome Dove. I, you know, it's a, it's a good Western. You should read it. It's long. It's dark. But you should read it. But you kind of only need to read it once, maybe twice, and you get it. Or To Kill a Mockingbird. Great, iconic uh, book, novel that has uh, really reflected, uh, you know, the culture and the character of our nation. Good book. Read it. Read it twice. But we come back to Scripture week after week, and what we do is we open it up and we talk about what it means and how we can receive it. And the reason is, is that God makes himself known in Scripture. So not only do we sing praise uh, to the eternal God who's in our midst, but we also open his sacred word that we know is holy, it's reliable, it's true, we can bank on it. And we just want to make sure that we understand it and that as God's people we receive it. If you say, well... Well, great, you know, great for you guys, but I'm not kind of in the camp of being in God's people yet. No, that's, you're in a great place. We would love you, you know, just for you to check it out, and we want you to share in what we have. And so we're going to talk about, Brad's already talked about it, we've sang about it, we're, we're going to talk about the gospel and how we celebrate that and how that defines who we are as a people. So it's awesome to share uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 and it just is a summary of how it is that you get saved. So, okay, let's look at this together. Again, this is God's Word. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is God's Word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word, where you make yourself known to us. You show us who we are. We, you, you show us what you're up to in the world and how even in spite of ourselves, uh, you've made a way. And so as, as we look at your word together, as we share it together, I pray that you would guide me and open our minds and our hearts to receive uh, your true, your precious, your reliable word. And bless us through it, we ask, because you're a gracious God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so just as a reminder, the theme in uh, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10, this bigger block, is really pretty straightforward. 
It's uh, how can someone like you be saved, right? Or, or me, but it's how is a person actually saved, especially in light of verses 1 through 3, where he says, uh, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked, you know, f- following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, um, you know, that you were condemned. So you were, you were dead in your sins, you were enslaved, and uh, you're condemned before God. How does somebody like that, uh, how, how can somebody like that be saved? Stand before God and God look at you and honestly say, I'll receive you. Right? You're forgiven. You're, you're made new. That's offensive to modern ears, you know, that kind of our evolved uh, culture, we might think. You know, what do you mean, how can somebody like, like, like me, how, how can somebody like me be saved? Seems offensive. But it, it needs to be asked. I mean, it's the biggest question. If, if this is true, and it is, there's not a bigger question in your life, right? Because, it's, because of the eternal implications. You do not face a bigger issue. It's also the hardest question because of verses 1 through 3. Like, how is somebody like that, you know, dead? How, how can somebody like that, be, who's dead and condemned, be made alive, alive and received? Um, by the way, just practically speaking, you assume this question every day. Right? You, you walk around knowing that you're not right. A lot of the services that we offer in the world are rooted in the reality that things just aren't perfect. And as a matter of fact, we seek services, whether it's, it's help here or there, or you know, through a counselor or a medical professional. We assume that we're not okay. You operate under this assumption every day of your life, whether you acknowledge it or not, or you, know, you fight like mad to pretend that you're fine. But let's I mean, let's, that's, uh, let's be real. Looking like everything is together is different than having everything together. Right? So this answers this big question. What's the, the theme of Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 is, how is it somebody like you can be saved? How is it that somebody like me can be saved? And so today we're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about how you're saved, how you're not, and the reasons you want to get it right. How you're saved, how you're not, and the reasons you want to get it right. So in the passage, these three verses, there are really two emphases here that answer the same question. And one you might say is, is like the way through, and the other is the work behind the way. And so, the, you know, the, the way and the work behind it. So in verses 8 and 9, let's just call it the path, right? Which, which way do you go? He says in verses 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, when my my kids were little and they were just starting to learn sports and that sort of thing, you know, the the elementary nature of sports, you just try to teach the fundamentals. And when it came to basketball, basketball is a little harder sport because you've got these little people in this big ball. Right, And so they've got to figure out how to manage that. Well, you know, if you know the basic rules of basketball, you can dribble, but you have to dribble, you know, with one hand. Intuitively, every kid, you know, because like I said, little kid, big ball, uh, every kid wants to put two hands on the ball and pound it like this. And what you find here, whenever you look at verses 8 and 9, there's a positive, negative, positive, negative. This way, not this way. This way, not this way. Just like with a little kid that you say, hey, okay, you've got to learn to dribble a basketball, but it's this way, this way, but not this way. 
right? It's one hand, not two hands. And every time you teach little kids, there's always some, you know, pretty good group of them that are like, wait, I don't think you know what you're talking about, coach, because it's way easier to dribble it with two hands, right? It just seems intuitive. Like if you're going to dribble it well, two hands are better than one. And you have to go back because it, it, it sort of goes against their intuition to say, no, not this way, this way, or, or this way, but not this way. And then, you know, like I said, intuitively, they go, no, 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 this way. And then you get in a game, and they do this, and they hear a whistle blow. Right? That's against the rules. What Paul is doing here, when you see the positive, negative, positive, negative, he's saying, listen, when you think about this question, how can somebody like you be saved? It's this way, not this way. I know it's intuitive. You think it's this way. Everybody seems to think it's this way. All of the philosophies of the world and the religions of the world, they, they all lean this way. It's not that way. It's this other way. How can I be saved? Our, our intuition is to say, well, you know, I, like do the right stuff. Like the, whether, how are you to find that? If for you it's the, the religious stuff or the moral stuff or, you know, the save the world stuff, the good stuff, the nice stuff. And what Paul says is, that's not the way. You see, it? He, he says, that's not the answer. Verse 8, this is not your own doing. Verse 9, it's not a result of works. You know, argue, arguably, we live in the greatest history, or in the greatest history, in the greatest country in the history of the world. But now, think about it. Think about how audacious this would be if, if uh, somebody who wasn't from around here uh, came and I... I showed them the whole nation in all of its greatness, you know, the beautiful signs, uh, uh, the beautiful sights, and the different aspects of history, and just the variation, and how, you know, rich we are in natural resources, and a uh, very profound uh, system of government, and I was like, this is my America, and if you knew what you were talking about, somebody would say, well, wait, that's okay, that you would say this is your America, but you didn't do this. You, all you did was you were born into it. You know what I mean? This is, like, you didn't accomplish this. This is not your doing. You just happen to be born into it. This is going to play out bigger, but what, what Paul says is, listen, you want the, the biggest negative answer? How can somebody like me be saved? It's like, you can't do it. This is not your doing. This is not your doing. Now, why not? Well, because when it comes to your achievements and your effort, those aren't the kind of things that can answer the problems of verses 1 through 3. Somebody who's dead in sins, you know, your effort and your achievements can't answer your deadness, your spiritual deadness, uh, or your condemnation, what you've already done. So, just like the little kid with two hands on a basketball, somebody says, what must I do to be saved? They just naturally think, well, it's something I do, or it's something I achieve. Uh, it's something that I accomplish or I deserve. This is the single greatest mistake that a lot of people make. I, I think the greatest mistake that people make with God is they assume he's not relevant. I think the second greatest mistake people make is that they can earn his favor by doing something. Just like what Brad talked about. Like you can deserve uh, that. Paul says, like, like the little kid with two hands on the basketball, not this way. This is not your own doing. This is not the result of works. You didn't do this. You're saved. And then he goes to the positive, right? If, if not that way, how? Verse 8. By grace through faith. 
It's a kind of a, an older phrase. Those are, those are words that if you're in the church world, you use them, um, but, the, but they can kind of lose their meaning outside of the church world. Uh, they don't have a lot of meaning probably. What is grace? You might intuitively know this. It's the idea that you give somebody what they don't deserve. Right? In other words, you're good to somebody in, in spite of the fact that they, they maybe deserve the opposite. When God gives you grace, what he's doing is he's expressing goodwill toward you and acting on it and giving you favor, even though you deserve the exact opposite of that. And Paul says, you're saved by grace. You're, you're saved because God has goodwill toward you. Through faith, in other words, you, you trust him, you put your life in his hands, just like you do if, uh, if you have a life-saving surgery. You know, you, you, you go in and you're putting your life in the doctor's hands, right? So it's totally out of your control. And that doctor's got to do what only that doctor can do. Well, infinitely greater and more difficult salvation is putting your life in Jesus' hands so that, that uh, what needs to be done is done by Jesus because only he can do it. So he says you're saved in verse 8 by grace through faith also says in verse 9, it's a gift God gives to you, right? It's, it's the gift. Uh, it's the idea that, uh, you know, because of that instinct that somebody says, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this and I'll be saved, or I'll do this good thing, this religious thing, this nice thing, I'll do this impressive thing, and God's going to go, wow, so impressive. Although, like I said, all of those things, none of those things answers verses 1 through 3. And so to reinforce this, Paul says, not this way, listen, if you're going to be saved it's like, it's, it's a gift God's going to give you. It's free. It's costly, but it didn't cost you. It's, it's something that he does. Um, so why the contrast? Why does, why does Paul go positive, negative, positive, negative here? Well, the contrast is for clarity. Don't you see this? If the impulse is to go, hey, wait, I want to be saved. I want to like enter in and, and get all the heaven stuff. I want to be in good graces with God and all that stuff. If the impulse is to say, I do that by deserving it, by earning it or achieving it or accomplishing it. And he says, not this way. He's doing that to be very, very clear. If you're going to be saved, it's by God's gift, not by something that you strive for. It's going to be something that God accomplished for you and you're invited into it, not something that you open up and achieve. So the contrast is for clarity. The paths are laid out that way. That's why it's look, not this way, this way. You see at the end of verse 9, one last little comment on this, the path. What's your way through? Your, your only way through is faith in Christ by the grace of God. The only way through is a gift. At the end of verse 9, he points out that salvation is a no-boasting zone. Like the big sign, boasting, circle, slash through it, right? No boasting here. Now, why is that? He, he says, listen, it's this way so that no one may boast. Nobody, nobody should be bragging about, hey, listen, I'm so saved, I'm much saveder than you are. You know, like I'm the savedest saved person who's ever been saved. I'm such a saved dude because I'm like real savedish, right? I'm like, I'm really great at that. Why does he say that? Because out of the truth, what he's saying is, um, Heaven is not achievable, it's only receivable. So that's like, you, you can't achieve it, but you can receive it. 
See, and it's it's so broad, no one can achieve it, but anyone can receive it. So why is it important that he says, no boasting, no bragging about that? Well, here's why. Boasting hides the truth. Because as soon as you step up and you go, like, I'm I'm like super saved and I'm like really worthy of it and all this, all the annoying things that arrogant people do, that hides the truth. And that's so important because people need the truth. If you hide the only truth that is the way through, it's harmful to act as if it's human effort because it perpetuates a lie that if other people rely on that, it's going to lead them to their doom. That's why it's such a big deal. Listen, if you receive this as a grace and you walk around acting like you're better than everybody else, they're not going to see the gospel. And the gospel is God's good news to them. And that's how they're saved. Whatever else you do out of the implications of this, don't hide the truth that somebody comes into this by the gift of God accomplished for them by Jesus. So out of step. Don't make that. Just highlight how gracious God is. So you say by a gift. This is by God's grace. You don't earn it, so don't ever act like you have. The path. What's the pathway through? It's it's faith and gratitude. Look at verse 10 with me. I'm going to call it the potter. I'm going to say the the emphases are the way and then the work behind it. Look at verse 10 again. He says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, initially, I made a mistake. This happens. I made a mistake on verse 10 because I, I, I thought he was saying something he wasn't quite saying. And actually, what he's doing here is he's continuing the same argument. Um, How does he do this? It's from a new angle, and what he's saying, so here's the broader thing. What he's saying is, you want to know what your salvation is? You want to know why it's by grace and a gift of God? It's because it's actually a, a creation or a recreation. That's what it is. Do you, you see that, the, the two words there? Workmanship and created. We're his workmanship. The Greek word is uh, poema. Uh, we get our word poem. Like salvation is God's work of art. This is this beautiful, creative, powerful thing that God did. Or, listen, uh, we're created in Christ Jesus. Like all, all through what Jesus has done, again, the grace of God, uh, all through what Jesus has done, we've been put together, your salvation and who you are, this new you, has been fashioned like a potter in Jesus. That's how it worked. But there's this interesting thing in, uh, I don't, I'm not particularly good with Greek, so I don't normally talk about all the Greek words, but the emphasis here, it's important here, the emphasis here is on God. Um, salvation, he says, from this angle is creation or recreation. Here you were, and, and you were this, this mess of, of all this junk that was contaminated, and God somehow does what only God can do, and he creates you, recreates you. By the way, if salvation is creation, nobody self-creates, right? So it's not you, it's God who does it. He's the potter through this. But there's this interesting thing. The first word in the, in the Greek line is his. And, that, and what the Greeks would do is they would do that for emphasis. If they wrote a sentence, you know, they didn't have periods or exclamation, part, uh, exclamation marks or italics or bold. Like if you want to emphasize something, uh, you, might, you might do it in all bold. Right, my, you know, my team won, or whatever, or exclamation point, or I, italics, or something like that. They didn't have that, but what they would do is they would choose word order, and, and to put something in what you know scholars have called the emphatic position, they'll put it first. 
And here, it's, it's a little bit, uh, sounds a little bit like Yoda. I don't have a good Yoda voice, so I'm not going to try. But it's, it's like his workmanship we are. So right, following verses 8 and 9, you're saved by grace. It's a gift of God. What he's saying here is, don't you get the emphasis? You're his work. Your salvation is something God did. It's not something you did. It's something that God did. Uh, it's, it's God who cre- recreated you and saved you. And so what you see here is ultimately not my work, it's God's. So that's, you know, that's their way of using all caps. Paul is just pointing in salvation. That's what God did. Um, let me tell you, too, d- d- another note. Don't get confused about works. Uh, do you, you notice that there? He says uh, we're saved for good works uh, that God prepared beforehand. You know, these good deeds, whether you think they're religious or moral or whatever. Just keep it in view. What's Paul talking about here? In verse 9, he says, you are not saved by good works. Verse 10, you're actually saved for good works. In other words, you might say, uh, good works show up. They're going to be there. But it's, when, while it's natural to think, well, this, maybe this is how you get saved, it, he actually clears this up. No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. This comes as a result of having God's saving work, this recreation in you. When God does this thing in you that only God can do through Jesus, then what happens is good works come out of that. It's not a road to it. Um, maybe an okay analogy to this. So agree with me. If you object to this premise, catch me afterwards. So here's a premise. Only living people dance, okay? Only living people dance. You basically agree with that? Like, you don't, like you see people, every time you see somebody dance, it's a live person. uh, Tim Burton movies don't count, right? Okay, so you just have to go like, uh, what you've seen with your own eyes, it's like, well, it's living people who dance. Dead people uh, tend not to, you know, I've never seen that, right? It's living people who dance. So you could say, well, wait, that must mean if only living people dance, then you have to dance to make yourself alive. It's the wrong order. It's actually, if you're going to dance, somebody has to make you alive. And what he's saying is, listen, the, these good works that are eternal that God prepares for beforehand, it's the people who have been created and recreated who do these good works. Not the other way around. You can't do good works to become alive. Dead people verses 1 through 3. Dead people don't do that. You walk in the trespasses and sins, verse 1 and 2. But when you've been recreated, this salvation, uh, you walk in these good works that God prepared for you beforehand. There's this new life, and so there's this new walk, this old pattern you used to walk uh, in your trespasses and sins, he says early in the passage, and now there's a new pattern. Now you walk in the good deeds God fashioned for you. Maybe a, a way to think about that is, um, you know, I, an underrated utensil, I believe, not that it doesn't get used, it just doesn't get celebrated in its proper place, is the spoon, right? It's not as sexy as the fork and the knife because it doesn't cut anything or stab anything. It merely holds things, right? And so I, th- I think it doesn't quite get its proper due, right? The spoon. It's, pr- it's common to you. It's, it's something that you probably use every day. You prob- I don't, how would you eat soup without it? Certainly cereal or measure out sugar, right? But it's, it's been fashioned according to its design. So a spoon is great for what spoon does, like spoon functions. But if you said, listen, a spoon is a great uh, tool and it's got great utility, so I'm going to go out and I'm going to cut my lawn with it. 
you're going to be exasperated, right? It's, 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 it's something that's a good utensil that's taken out of its purpose. When, you, when you're tempted to continue to live in trespasses and sins, you're taking something that God has created and recreated and, and taking it out of the design. And so it's going to be exasperating because that's not what it's for. Your recreation suits you to live like it because God remade you and your life shows that. So all of this to say, it's like if the theme is, how can somebody like you, how can somebody like me be saved? Paul just, he emphasizes it. This is how he closes out the section. He says, listen, this is the way. This has been accomplished for you by Jesus. You're saved by grace. You're saved by putting your faith in Jesus. It's a gift. It's not by what you do. And, And your salvation is actually the work of God. He's created you. It's your salvation is a recreation of you. Now, why do you want to get this right? Why does Paul take such great pains, and why should we take such great pains to receive it? Well, let me give you three. I think there are other reasons, but let me give you three. Uh, one is so that you can be saved. Right? You want to be clear on it. If, if, if the way is narrow, like Jesus said, you want to take the right way. This is, salvation is not something that you can come up with your own trail. You actually have to take, if you'll be saved, you have to take the only way given, the only way that leads you there. And that's it. If it's not clear, you're not going to know what to live or, or what to rely on, what to believe. So when it comes to other religions and salvation, they, they so often offer something that they can't give, where the dead, verse 1, think about it, they don't heal themselves. I can't, that, I can't, declare my own way and say, therefore, I'm saved. By analogy, I can't declare myself a Windsor. And, uh, you know, if I do, that doesn't make me a prince. Or I could just be like, you know, uh, Meg, let's tone it down a skosh. You know, just by declaring myself a Windsor, I can't do that. Just by declaring yourself somebody who's in God's good graces doesn't make you so. That something fundamental about you has to be addressed. All that, all that, the sin and the problem, the separation with God, all that has to be addressed and you can't do it. And you're certainly not going to do it just by declaring yourself that way. You're going to have to receive the good work of God through Jesus. So salvation has to be achieved or it has to be received, not achieved. Jesus atoned for me. It's a gift. I, I, just, I just want you to make sure that you get it. And that it, I want you to get on the boat. You know what I mean? I want, I want you to make sure that you get that if I'm going to be saved, I have to receive what God did for me through Jesus. It's my only way in. All my effort, none of that can actually address what's fundamentally the problem in my life. And here's how you do that. I mean, it's, it's, if you're saved by grace through faith, what you can do right now, and I just urge you to do it right now, put your faith in Jesus. Trust Jesus. Put your life in His hands. You know, um, the second reason you want to get it right is to avoid, to avoid anxiety and despair. So here's, here's the thing. Like, you could make much of yourself and think, you know what? I'm going to earn salvation. I'm going to accomplish salvation. I'm going to make my way through. But if you think salvation is up to you, that's a lot of pressure. And once you get to know yourself a little better, you're going to be like, hey, guess what? I blew it. Oh, I blew it again. Oh, I keep blowing it. I keep doing this. And sooner or later, if you just connect the dots, it's going to crush you. Because you're going to realize this is not something you can achieve. It is not something you can earn and accomplish. 
But here's the other side of it. If salvation is up to Jesus and you realize he's perfect and he's done everything necessary, the victory's been won, this has already been accomplished, this is finished, as he said on the cross, then you don't have to have the fear. And you don't have to be crushed by that. All you need to do is receive it and live out of that. So one of the reasons you want to get this right is to avoid anxiety and despair. A lot of times, the people, and people in this room, but the people around you as well, who are dealing with depression and anxiety and frustration and all of that, is because they've got the whole world on their shoulders, and uh, they keep disappointing themselves. Listen, I've got bad news for you, and I've got good news for you. It's all the truth. If you keep doubling down and thinking, I can fix this, I can fix this, I'm sorry. You're going to get the same result. But if you'll turn to Jesus and you'll receive God's grace and trust God to do in you what only God can do in you, the whole world's going to be lifted. Right? Sins forgiven, made alive together with Jesus, and uh, this path has been created beforehand so you can flourish in it and receive the good gift of God. You do it to avoid anxiety and despair. Number three, to live a life that matters. You know, when, when God lays out a plan, it's for my flourishing, and I can value it forever. So there's one little, let me make one little point, and then we'll get off of this. But part of the burden of sin, and, we, and in America we're great at this, but part of, the, part of the burden of sin is that you can see people excel at things that don't matter. And I don't mean even bad things, right? I mean just kind of things that are neutral, but they can give their whole lives to it, and they can be great at it. And at the end of it, it doesn't mean anything. So you might be excellent. You might be even the best at some things that eternally just are of no consequence. And at the end of it, I mean, just think, you know, with basketball season or baseball season or whatever, what if you're the best who ever hit a baseball? What if you're the best at it? I love baseball. I think it's a beautiful sport. But that's who you are. I mean, come on. Right, like the contribution of that eternally. There's a good contribution to it here. The problem is that as beautiful as baseball is here, it's just not ultimate. And one of the burdens of sin is that people give themselves to, I mean, things that are good or neutral, and they treat them as the ultimate. In other words, they put the weight on that that only something like eternity should have for them. So what if you're the best ever at fill in the blank? You know, Jesus put it this way. Uh, you know, what, what good is it if somebody gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What good is that to you? And part of the burden of sin is that there are people really great at excelling at things that don't ultimately matter. So they get in the whole world. They're just not going to be able to keep it. So what benefit is that to you? When you're God's new creation, you're positioned to be about the things that matter, and they matter forever. So I want you to get this. Let's just say you do something great at work and it makes a difference, it's good for your company and all that. Awesome. That's even a good thing. And people notice it. And so everybody at, at your work goes, hey, th- this guy or this gal is so strategic and so important to our company. I can't believe they did this. They saved us millions or, or they, they got us millions or whatever. And as good as that is, let's just say there's somebody here and they walk through the doors and they're kind of invisible but because Jesus is in your heart, you have eyes to see him. 
and you connect with them and, uh, and they see the love of Christ in the way you treat them and nobody else notices that. I just, listen, somebody else does notice that. That's God, right? So in the eternal matters of that, that way, the thing at work is cool. Seeing people God loves and helping them understand that, that's eternal, right? That just weighs forever. So having eyes like that so that you live a life that matters. That's why you want to get it right. So let me give you this invitation. We'll close. It seems appropriate. I have one thing to say. I just invite you to come to Jesus. You can't earn it. You can't achieve it. You can only receive it. Uh, this is something that Jesus, <clears throat> excuse me, this is something that Jesus earned for you on the cross. Paid for your sin, and whenever he rose from the dead, he overcame death. And so that if you come in to him, if you put your trust in him, you're forgiven and you're made alive together with him forever, and you're, you're, you ascend with him and you're seated with him in the heavenly places. And this is something you can receive. My invitation to you is, don't wait. Receive it right now. Turn to Jesus. Let's pray. God, this good news is something that we, we can and will celebrate for eternity. How can somebody like uh, me be saved? And it's really just, it's because you're gracious. It's because that you're willing to give a gift to somebody like me who doesn't deserve it. And that Jesus earned it for me. And so I pray for every believer in the room that they would go back to the basics of the gospel, never leave the fundamentals and say, this is who I am. I've been, I'm God's creation. I'm a, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. And live out of that and celebrate that and represent that. And there's somebody here who hasn't received Jesus. I just pray that by your grace, by the power of your spirit, because you're a loving God, that you would draw them to you in faith. And that they would believe in Jesus, the light would come on, and they would celebrate with us forever. Also, the way we walk, the way we live, help us to represent Jesus every day in every way in what we do. Uh, we live in a fallen world. The Scripture never acts like that. We, we're weak. Scripture never acts like that. That's not the, the, or the Scripture never denies the reality of those things the, of a fallen world and our weakness. But by your grace and by your spirit within us, we can show people the truth. And we can celebrate the truth because we love it, because it defines us. Help us to do that for your glory, for our joy, and because we love the people around us. We pray that you'd use it to make a difference. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.